One of the big focus areas is what we're calling lateral agility. Because what we found is that we've certainly moved the needle in terms of the improvement of leadership and management in terms of what would be called vertical leadership, in terms of the leadership of their teams and really focusing on elements such as the quality of feedback and career development and how they're supporting their teams. And we've seen major improvement in that regard. But the area where we see the opportunity is that the most successful leaders are spending just as much time collaborating in a highly effective manner with their cross-functional peers. Hello and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. Today features an interview with Kevin Stapp, SVP and Global Head of Talent Management at Condé Nast. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's installment of the Talent Blueprint. I am your host, Sultan. And this week, I am super excited to welcome to our episode, Kevin Stapp, the Senior Vice President of and Global Head of Talent Management at Condé Nast. Kevin, I imagine a lot of our listeners will be familiar with the many things that Condé Nast does from Vogue through to GQ, Vanity Fair. I know you guys have hundreds of millions of subscribers, consumers. I imagine it's an interesting organization to be involved in running all things people. I'd love to know a little bit more about what that role looks like at Condé Nast. And maybe we'll start with a little story of the kind of stuff you've been doing there. Absolutely. That's great to join you today. Indeed, Condé Nast is a storied organization. It's been around for, I think, now over 112 years. And of course, uh, very much known as a a legacy publisher, particularly well-known for print. And the journey that we've been on is about transforming to being a modern digital-first media company. And our CEO, Roger Lynch, who actually was the very first global CEO of Condé Nast, spoke about when he first joined the organization about three and a half years ago. And speaking to advertisers, Condé Nast was very much regarded as a bit of an archaic print-first organization. And what's been fascinating is those very same advertisers see Condé Nast now as something very different as leading the charge in, in multiple formats and platforms, be it film, TV, video, audio, you name it which I think speaks volumes for the journey that we've been on. So I joined Condé Nast just coming up to three years ago. And before that, I was in the beauty industry for 12 years. And so many of my colleagues in the beauty industry, of course, were always speaking of Condé Nast and trying to get the attention of beauty editors with titles with the likes of Vogue and Glamour and Allure. So I I always knew Condé Nast very well and the the role that Condé Nast was playing. And when I was first contacted regarding this opportunity, it was amazing to me to hear that effectively Condé Nast was organized as 13 separate companies for well over a century and in a very siloed way. And with Roger Lynch coming in as the very first global CEO, it was the start of globally integrating these 13 entities. So effectively, we have been on what would consider a giant merger 
over the last few years. And you can imagine in an organization that for well over a century was highly decentralized and siloed in the way it operated and now being globally integrated is that from a people and talent perspective, there really was not much in place at all when we looked at it from an enterprise global level. So my role has very much been about coming in and starting to build primarily a lot of the foundational talent practices that the organization has needed as it's been going through this transformation. The idea of coming in to an organization, not only which has over a dozen different groups, but where those groups are also, I imagine, going to have different cultures. As you mentioned, some of those are from print, some of those are going to be digital, some of those are focused on readers, some of those are going to be focused on viewers. The topic of trying to integrate talent practices across that must be fascinating. But also, you mentioned, you came in three years ago, you've been in the organization through a pretty wild time in talent practices. Obviously, outside of the pandemic and everything that came with that, the shifts of thinking about how do you navigate organizational integration in, at a time when there's all these other transformations happening must have been a very interesting journey. So before we get into all of the details of that, uh, what have you found most rewarding in the three years that you've been doing this? Which part has really stood out for you as the most engaging and rewarding experience? Yeah, so many. And I think working within an environment where there's such significant transformation, one often gets, I call it, sucked into the operational vortex. There's never a dull moment. There's always something on the go. And one does need to pause at times and really look at what's been built over a period of time. And certainly the bold investments that we've made in leadership to equip them to navigate the transformation and economic uncertainty and the various programs and processes that we've built to accelerate the talent system is certainly those areas where I look back and really proud of what the team has built. When you refer to capabilities, and I can see the reasons that you'd be proud to have built that whilst managing an integration of capabilities, that, that word means so many different things in different organizations. And when you're combining organizations, you're also highlighting cross-team capabilities, like what the organization is capable of. How have you thought about that transformation in up-leveling the capabilities over time when you first came in? What did you think about as the measures of success? Did you define this up front when you first joined and thought these are the capabilities we need to improve? Did you think about how to measure that journey and how did that evolve over the three years? Yeah, indeed. I think coming in and knowing that we had to build so many practices from the ground up, the question was, where do you start? And for us, the approach that we used was really using multiple sources of data to really inform where we're going to be the entry points for building many of the capabilities that the organization needed. So one was my first, I would think, three months on the job was pretty much a listening tour, where I spoke to multiple stakeholders, leaders across the organization to really understand what were the key needs that, that were being expressed. We also did launch a global engagement survey, and that gave us terrific feedback and data points about some of the most critical areas. Also, in, in some respects, as part of that listening tour, there were also moments of, uh, I would call it serendipity, where senior leaders would immediately speak to, you know what, I want to try this, I want to try mentorship. Is that something that you can help me with? So there was also a lot of low-hanging fruit as part of that listening tour, where 
we could take an agile approach and pilot something small and then build on that and take the learnings and see how we could scale it further. So those were certainly the ways of how we looked at where did we want to start. And in terms of metrics and measurements of success, we use a number of measurements of success, but primarily there's a lot that comes out of our engagement survey. There's actually two measurements in particular that we've used consistently over the last three years. One of them is a measurement that we call the inclusion index. Diversity and inclusion is central to our people strategy. And myself and the chief diversity officer of Condé Nast worked together to really help define what were those core measurements of building an inclusive culture that we wanted to track over time. So we've actually got, as the inclusion index, it's an aggregation of seven measurements of building an inclusive culture. We also use a measurement which we call ESAT, and that's a measurement of employee happiness or satisfaction. And interestingly, those three measurements we've consistently tracked over three years, and those are amongst the core KPIs of the entire organization and which gets reported to the board of directors as well. And those would be two key measurements. Also, with the bold investments in leadership that we've made, we've consistently tracked, also coming out of the survey, perceptions around management and effectiveness of management support, as well as the quality of feedback. That was probably the most central theme that I heard when I was on my listening tour, which was, I want to get more regular feedback. I want to know how I can develop and advance. So that is something that we've tracked very carefully over the last three years and very satisfied to see that those measurements have improved considerably since when we started measuring them at the end of 2019. So many nuggets to unpack there. What you highlighted with the two measurements, a few things I love about those two. The first is that they are both leading indicators. A lot of folks measure the retention rates or the higher rates, but the things that drive higher employee retention and drive higher employee engagement and productivity are approaches to inclusion, are approaches to satisfaction, but also the underlying roots, such as perception of support and feedback. That is the leading indicator of how well people will be able to find the right opportunity to be productive. And even the example you gave, which I'll come back to around, I want to try mentorship. That's something that's embedded in that broader concept of how do we enable people to find the right support and opportunities and connections within the framework of the things that might be available in the organization. And what I also love about the specific two metrics that you guys are tracking, it's very tied to actually what we do at Beamery. Our mission is to create equal access to work, skills, and careers. We're a very diversity, inclusion, and also employee engagement focused organization. That's what we do. But I think the mindset of how do we actually create that within the organization has to be global and not a tactical initiative. It's not just how do we hire with more inclusion. It's how do we embed that? And when you think about the seven measurements that you guys have for the inclusive culture, how does that connect with some of the agile approach initiatives that you guys have? Do you look at those things side by side? For example, when you mention mentorship and you want to try an agile approach to trying that out, how do you connect that with those two KPIs when you look at how to pilot those things? How have you looked at that? Yes, indeed. In terms of those seven measurements that we use as part of our inclusion index, there's been a number of programs and practices that we've run that is in strong alignment. Like many global organizations, we've had a key focus on unconscious bias. We've, we rolled out three years ago a what we call a global inclusion program that 
everybody within the organization participated in. And that really helped build a at least a foundational level of awareness and understanding in the organization. And subsequent to that, there's been a number of programming, whether it's been through our learning programs, we continue to run a number of inclusive leadership programs across the organization. Plus, it's a central part of everything we do around leadership and management development. As we've built out new programs focused on supporting our leaders that are helping their teams navigate significant change, central to everything we do has been about inclusive leadership and how they can bring about inclusive leadership practices, which, as you can imagine, in an organization that is now globally integrated, we now have leaders that are leading teams that are now all over the globe in multiple locations. So it's an interesting challenge where there needs to be an approach to how they can be more inclusive and also how they can actually be more effective in terms of remote leadership as well. So it's been a fascinating journey and there's still much work to do, but we're very, very happy with, with the progress that's been made so far. It's certainly impressive how many parallel initiatives you've been able to drive. And I think the keywords you use there also include the agility and the importance of listening, because what we see as common friction points that organizations run into is this kind of change is hard. And unless you are starting with the employee and manager and executive listening programs that help you really focus, but also back up your choices, it's very difficult to ensure that there is effective alignment and how you actually prove that these pilots are working or that these initiatives are working. But I imagine some of the things you've highlighted, which touch on how do you empower managers, don't always work out as easily as they could in practice because there are so many pieces that touch that. How do you create change that includes administrative changes or things that require culture changes? Where have you run into friction points as you've been navigating this set of major transformation programs? Yeah, in terms of friction points, I think more than anything else is that we've realized that we can't boil the ocean. We've gone about really identifying needs across the entire organization. And often there's so many things that you want to do and needs to be addressed. But there has to be a realization that one has to take an incremental approach to, to building the practices and capabilities that the organization needs. So a sharp focus on prioritization has been incredibly important. And then, of course, as we've been going about this transformation, one mustn't forget that at a macro level, there's, the world has been going through so many significant changes and COVID and COVID lockdown. And what's followed has been a, a period of economic uncertainty that's had a significant impact on various industries and media included. So it's been needing to really have key prioritization on the areas where there is the most need and where the greatest value can be created. You know, what I will say is that we have a bit of an internal, there's a bit of an internal joke within Condé Nast where we use the old cliche that you need to be able to crawl before you can actually start taking the first steps and walking and then running. And we actually add on to that cliche and say, we actually also need a bit of tummy time and need to learn how to roll in our tummies before we can do that. So in many cases, even though one knows that there's critical capability that needs to be built and one wants to do probably a hundred things. It's been about how do we be super focused in the areas that can drive 
the greatest value in taking an incremental approach when I first came into the organization was quite um, very much aligned to classical performance management. The common theme was people wanting more regular feedback, wanting to know where they stood, wanting to know what they should be prioritizing in terms of their work, having meaningful conversations with their managers about their career and their career development. And in terms of addressing that need, we started off really basic and knowing that also an organization that didn't even have a consistent HR information system across the globe. Some areas there was Workday, in some areas it was literally spreadsheets. So how do you launch a program that addresses that need and do it initially in a very basic way? But that's essentially what we did. We started small and started really simple and basic. And over the years now, we've slowly increased the maturity and sophistication of what we're doing. And on that particular note, I would never call it performance management at all within an organization such as Condé Nast. It's a highly creative and innovative organization with some of the world's best storytellers. So you need to meet the organization where they're at. And we call that whole process Connect for Growth because more than anything else, it's about performance and learning enablement. And over a period of time, we've slowly turned up the dial in terms of the sophistication of that process. And we are seeing how it's paying dividends. I love the focus on connections. You highlighted common themes as more meaningful conversations, which is a, a theme of employees, mentors, as well as managers. And you've highlighted the theme of Connect for Growth as a development and enablement culture, not just a performance culture. I think that is so critical in the increasingly fast-moving world we live in. Careers have to evolve faster than they ever have. The time it takes for people's skills to become less relevant in their role is accelerating, and people need to be able to stay agile in their own career development, just as much as companies need to be agile and adjust in their approach to the way that functions run. And that principle of enabling connection for growth is not just an employee experience-facing piece or a manager experience-facing piece, it's a organizational mentality, right? You have to ensure that the organization's managers and leaders are aligned with the objectives and how to empower their employees to be able to adjust their focus based on those objectives. Tell me about some of the internal operational impacts for this, because it's, it sounds like this is deeper than just a talent transformation. It sounds like an organizational transformation that has the talent at the center of it. And I imagine there's operational implications for how that connects. And there's been major operational impacts in terms of the transformation work we've been doing. And a key focus of ours is how do we provide the right support and development and learning in the flow of work as we've been going through that transformation. And for example, I spoke about previously, you know, we were effectively 13 different companies that operated in a highly siloed way. Now we have a globally integrated organization that is increasingly a global matrix where on the one hand, you have a number of markets, but you also have a number of functions. And our functions in particular have globalized over a period of time. Also, a number of our brands have globalized in a period of time. Two years ago, we had five of our top brands that integrated globally and now are focused on having this combination between global content, which you would find across any Vogue, for example, 
And then the local teams really looking at what's the right mix of local content. So when we look at the internal operations, significant changes, and we've also brought in a lot of people practices that have been supporting sort of those internal changes as well. Rolling out Workday globally is something that is still on the go, and that has been an interesting process. How we support all of these changes from a learning perspective and providing sort of the right learning and development at the right time and in the flow of work has been a big focus in terms of how we've supported that transformation as well. Things like digital coaching has actually been one of those support mechanisms, which we've actually deployed exactly at the time of major change that's been happening in terms of supporting those leaders and their teams. I could go on and on in terms of the impacts and in terms of internal operation, but hopefully that gives you some of a flavor of the things that we've been doing. It also gives us a flavor of what's next. You mentioned there are system transformations that are in flight that are going to be part of a next chapter. And I think the question of agility, which you've touched on in the context of how to roll out initiatives, pilots, is we're now facing an environment in which agility is also a question of how businesses operate. How do you stay agile in where you hire and how you think about talent? And in the middle of the transformations you're touching on, which are still unfolding, these initiatives of coaching you're touching on are clearly still in flight. What's next? How do you see the next three to five years? And let's start with how do you see that within Condé Nast? And then we can move on to what you see potentially changing within the next three to five years more broadly. For sure. In the next three to five years, we will continue to make those bold investments in leadership and management and also accelerate the talent system. But I think what in particular, there's two areas that we're going to be focusing on a lot more and is critical to the success of the organization. One is coming back to that concept of agility. We know that going from a highly sort of siloed decentralized model to a global operating model that is a matrix is not easy. We've seen, coming back to our engagement survey, one of the measurements we also use is what we call barriers to execution. So to what extent is the organization successful in removing barriers to execution? And it's probably no surprise that in the middle of a global transformation, that's probably, that's been our bottom score consistently. And we know that there are major opportunities to improve the ways of working and how we operate within a matrix and how we are agile in doing so. So for example, one of the big focus areas is what we're calling lateral agility. Because what we found is that we've certainly moved the needle in terms of the improvement of leadership and management in terms of what would be called vertical leadership in terms of the leadership of their teams and really focusing on elements such as the quality of feedback and career development and how they're supporting their teams. And we've seen major improvement in that regard. But the area where we see the opportunity is that the most successful leaders are spending just as much time collaborating in a highly effective manner with their cross-functional peers. And that cross-functional collaboration is the one area that where you are moving across into a global matrix It's easier said than done and needs increased focus. And our definition of lateral agility is that it's it's more than just influence. It's more than just collaboration. It's the ability to co-create enterprise value with your cross-functional peers. 
So that is an area that we really want to double down on in terms of focus and attention over the next few years. The second area of major focus over the next three to five years is we want to move the needle further in terms of career development. Even though we've made great strides in, in terms of building out our learning ecosystem and providing more and more opportunities, and we've improved the quality of feedback around career conversations, we know that there's an opportunity to bring in more transparency around internal opportunities. Currently, we do measure sort of the rate of internal mobility of talent within the organization, and it's nowhere near where we want it to be. And often in exploring internal opportunities, it can be somewhat opaque. And as we know in many organizations, it's always far easier to to find an external opportunity rather than an internal opportunity in your own organization. So that is an area that we really want to invest in further and move the needle. And we're very excited about a lot of the recent developments in AI and how generative AI and investments in areas such as talent marketplaces can really help us move the needle in in that space. The combination of where AI can help and where the future employee connections can evolve, I think is super interesting. You mentioned the theme of more meaningful conversations. I think it's usually framed when you look at technology and AI, that's something that's making things less human. Whereas actually what excites me a lot, including you know, what we're doing with our customers and what you're touching on there is how we can leverage these technologies to connect people together and to create the types of things that you framed as connect for growth, but with additional enablement. And I think that's super exciting. I couldn't agree with you more, Kevin. Thanks so much for joining us, Kevin. It's been such an awesome conversation and so great to learn about this amazing transformation in such a complex environment, both organizationally and in terms of what's been happening in the world over the last three years. So thanks for sharing your story. Thank you, Sultan. It's great to join you today. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at Beamery.com.